Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host for this episode. Joining us today is one of our my favorite guests. He's a former instructor at Pragmatic Marketing. He is a longtime expert and thought leader in product marketing and launch, and he is the founder and CEO at Braincraft, Dave Daniels. Welcome, Dave Daniels. Well, thank you, Rebecca. Uh, wow, it sound, I sound really important when you say it all that way. <laughs> <laughs> I had to really work for that, Dave. No. <laughs> like, oh, uh, yeah, okay. Like, oh, I'll go with me. that. Right? Yes. So, Dave, today we're going to talk about a topic that I know is near and dear to your heart. It is near and dear and central to what we teach. And yet it is something that if I asked 100 different people what it meant, they'd probably give me at least 74 different answers. Positioning. Yeah, positioning is one of those things that uh, seems mysterious, and you ask people what it is, and they, they're confident to tell you what it is, and then you ask them a few questions, and you completely break down their confidence, and um, and there's so much written on it, and there's so many different ways to to express it, um, and I, I love talking about it and try to distill it down into some simple, simple elements. Well, let's do that right now. When you say right. positioning, what do you mean? And what don't you mean? All right. So positioning is a process. It's a verb. It's an activity. What it's not is a document that you fill out and put nice words in. That comes later, and there's a word for that. But positioning is a, is a verb, not a noun. It's an activity. It requires work. It requires research and thought and discussion um, and understanding, insight. It's not, a, uh, it's not something that you do in the corner and fill out a, a document or a template and then pass it around to everybody. It's, it's much more than that. It's actually very strategic. And why is it so strategic? What is it that positioning does for someone? Why should we spend the time positioning in the verb sense? Yeah, if you if you go back to you know the the folks who who really coined this term positioning, it's recent trout uh, in their uh, in their publication. They came out their book. They came out with years ago, positioning the battle for your mind. What what they were really trying to get in, into the reader's head in their book is that positioning is all about trying to find a space, a position, an empty slot in people's minds. And in the, the, the nice analogy that they use is that when you go to buy a product, anybody listening to this buys a product, the first thing they think of is the product category. I need a fill in the blank. And then they think about who is it that can help me do that? Then they think brand. And so a position is you is something very strategic. It, it isn't just about the product. It isn't just even about the problem. It's bigger than that. So let me ask you a question. When you think of Tesla, what is the first thing that comes to mind? The 80s hair bands? No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I let think... me rephrase that. <laughs> I think of a 
expensive car. But what kind of car? Not just any kind of car. No, electric. That's an electric car, right? So in the minds of a lot of people, now there are other companies that make electric cars. There's no doubt about that. Um, there have been lots of electric cars uh, over the decades. Um, but Tesla has has captured that position of electric vehicle in, in the collective minds of buyers. Um, <clears throat> so that's exactly what recent Trout was talking about when they went when they meant a position. And once you establish what you want your position to be, it drives all kinds of strategic decisions. It drives the products that you're going to make. Uh, it drives what you're going to say. It drives how you're going to price your products. And um, like, for example, it, and, it, and it also determines what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. So would, let me ask you another question. Walmart's a big company, pretty big, profitable company, right? Mm -hmm. We know them as a retailer. Um, would you agree that they are capable of selling Rolex watches if they wanted to? Like physically capable? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, of course they are. They got distribution. They've got the stores. They got everything that they need. Do you think they would ever sell Rolex watches? No. Because it's not in line with their position. Exactly. It's not in line with what they want the uh, their markets that they serve to think about. So that's what I when I say positioning is strategic. That's what I'm I'm really talking about. And I'm I'm echoing recent trout here. I don't want to take uh, uh, full credit as an original Dave idea because all of that stuff has been drilled into my head for many years. But it's all about who are we? What are we all about? And that's what positioning is. And it's why, as you know, what we when we talk about positioning in our courses, it's something you do first. You do it before you build something. You do it early and often and you share it out for everyone because it drives everything. And I think the other part of the positioning that you talked about that I really like is trying to um, define your position in the market. What are you trying to own in, in Tesla's case, you know, the electric cars what are you trying to own because that drives everything that you're going to do right right and i and i think uh with years of of teaching uh the pragmatic marketing framework and especially foundations um in the framework there there is an activity called positioning um and it's really though about product positioning remember this is a a framework for successfully managing and marketing technology products. So, so when we think about positioning as a box on the framework, we think about it as product positioning. Now, some of you, and, and those of you who have attended class, you'll know what is the, the key thing that we talk about in positioning in the framework is we're communicating how we're gonna solve a problem that a potential buyer has, right, an unneed, uh, an unmet need that they have, whether it's a problem or a gain that they're they're not realizing, whatever it happens to be, that's making the connection about one of our things to one set of problems. Now, for those listening, um, the other term that's used for that, the other phrase that's used for that is value proposition. So what's the value proposition of my solution? Um, 
it, and I used to get that a lot in class where people say, Dave, you know, we, we just talked about positioning and that's really cool. I love the way you did that. How is that different than value proposition? And my answer would always be the same. They're the same. Oh, they're two different phrases that really ultimately end up at the same place. It's we have a solution. You have a problem. Let me make sure that I bridge the gap between those two things. I can see that, although I think of a value proposition as a noun, to your point. It's the maybe part mm -hmm. of the output of the positioning as a verb. Yeah, exactly. It's the, if you go with us, this is what we're capable of doing for you. Um, and it's, it's a, just a one-to-one -one relationship between you have a problem, I've got a solution, let's go dance. That's what it's really all about. Whether you want to call it product positioning, whether you want to call it value proposition, I really don't care. But in the end, we recognize that it's a, a process that we go through to arrive at what that is, and then we enshrine it in some form of documentation that says, when we talk about our product, we say this. When we talk about a feature, we say this. When we talk about the company, we say this. And that's all the output from a positioning activity or set of activities. So let's talk about those activities. If you were to start a mm -hmm. new company, I don't know, like Braincraft, and <laughs> you decide you're going to work <laughs> on positioning, what did you do first? Well, uh, the first thing I did is I thought about what's the problem. So when I think about, um, for, for those who are listening, Braincraft is focusing on helping uh, the product marketing community through methods and training and tools and things like that. Because product marketing is really, uh, at least within the tech community, has really come of age. But there's still a lot of confusion about the role, the responsibility, where does it start and end with product management and so forth. And um, so I recognize that as a really big problem and a big need. And I started thinking about um, how do I go about really getting it articulated into words that are from the market and not from Dave, because Dave could talk all day about this and whether Dave is right is, is irrelevant. It's whether the market actually responds to it. So I spent um, at least six weeks just reaching out to people and said, hey, I'd like to spend a 15 minutes of your time and talk to you a little bit about what some of your challenges and issues are and, you know, in the product marketing space. And people generously responded and I would have 15 to 30 minutes. Sometimes oftentimes they go to 45 minutes or an hour, just conversations about product marketing and what you struggle with and what's working and what's broken. And what would you do if you were king for the day? How would you fix it? And I collected this. And from that collection, I began to create little patterns of common needs and problems. And from that, I, uh, I wound up coming up with a list. Actually, if I turn around, I still have that list on my whiteboard. Can I read it to you? Sure. All right, problems. Uh, they're not in any particular order, but there are five of them. I don't have enough, t uh, enough detailed intel on competitors, and I spend too much time reacting to what sales wants because I get 911 calls from sales saying, help, I need some information about this competitor. Another one is just general reaction to sales demands for sales tools and content and 
just stuff that the field needs in order to satisfy a deal they're working on or engage in a discussion with a, uh, with a prospect. Uh, one I heard a lot, I actually have this one as number one, I'm not generating enough sales leads to meet sales goals. Very tactical, uh, but it has a lot of strategic significance on the product marketing team. Another one is uh, around product launches. Another topic is near and dear to my heart is uh, product launches don't meet revenue expectations and they cast doubts on my ability to plan and execute. In other words, the problem is I look bad uh, because my product launches aren't, aren't doing well. And then the final one is because I can't measure the impact of product marketing, it affects my personal credibility and my budget. I heard that more from directors and VPs. So six weeks, and that's what I got. And uh, I've done a few surveys and polls around those, and they keep coming up again and again as, as the, uh, the most consistent issues and problems. Now, I can use that and start thinking about how, what do I do at BrainCraft in order to address those needs. And one of those needs was, uh, one of those ways of addressing those needs is, of course, I've got a blog at uh, BrainCraft.com, and that's BrainCraft with a K, like in Germany, German spelling. And, um, and so I put content there that addresses the, one of those five. Uh, I'm working on a product launch book, which covers easily covers those. And uh, the other thing I've done is create some uh, online classes that are very complementary to what um, uh, pragmatic marketing customers learn in their public or on-site classes. So they dive deeper into specific topics like buyer personas and uh, buyer's journey decision mapping and things like that. What I think is so now I can start thinking about how to respond. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say what I think is interesting and a good illustration of what we're talking about is you use that positioning to define how you market, right? How you describe what you do to define thought leadership, what topics you should talk about, and then to define right. a product, right? What, what courses do you offer? What kind of consulting? So again, you've shown that that po single positioning is used throughout your organization when you're talking about how you're going to sell what you do. It's the same thing. It all goes back to what you learn through those visits. Right. Am I, am I going to sell um, Timex watches in my store or am I going to sell Rolex watches? It's, it's really get down to those kind of decisions. And positioning really drives from a, from a product management point of view. It also helps drive what features are important. You know, what add-on products do I need? Um, how far do I go with a capability? When is too much? When is not enough? Where do I need to invest? What acquisitions should I consider making? It's it's very far-reaching. It isn't just, you know, a little blurb that's on our website. It's far, far bigger than that. Oh, that reminds me of like five more questions. All right, hold on. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hello, Pragmatic Live listeners. You know we're passionate about product management, and we've been training professionals like you since 1993. If you're ready to increase product sales, reduce time to market, and improve customer satisfaction, register to experience a Pragmatic training session today at pragmaticmarketing.com slash five.
But it seems then, um, if this, it, it, you know, with such a central role for positioning, now it's a little different because Braincraft is your company. But in general, if I was going to work at a new company and I was doing positioning, getting everyone to understand what positioning is and also to believe that the positioning we've created is the correct one, right? That this is sort of mm -hmm. the mission forward would be really critical. So how would I do that? How do I get everyone around this sort of rallying cry of the positioning? Oh, how do we get them? Well, if you're the, if you're the CEO, you just say, this is the way we're going to do it. Does anybody have any questions? <laughs> uh, if, if you're not, um, and you're an individual contributor, let's say in a big company, um, you, you've got to start with what's the basis of how you understood what those problems actually are. Now, in big in, in companies, most of the time, the position of the company is dictated by the founders, uh, the, the board of directors, or the executive team. And they're the ones who are saying, this is what we're all about. And it, and it might help explain why it gets frustrating sometimes for individual contributors to say, I've got a really great idea. Let me share it with you. They've done the research. They've got the data. And then management team says, yeah, we're not interested in that. It doesn't fit what we do. That's not what we're about. We're Walmart, Rebecca. We're not going to sell Rolex watches. That's not what, yeah, we could make money at it. I know we could, but that's not what we do. And so it defines the boundaries of, of uh, what's, what's doable and what's not doable. And, and that has to be socialized from the top down at the, at the strategic level. Now let's bring it down to more of the product level. And that is how indi individual contributors need to take, how, how did they come up with the positioning? You know, how, how did, what was the research that was involved in order to identify the problems and needs that exist in the marketplace? And then you have to socialize that with, within the organization so they understand what that's all about. Now within the framework, the first place you start doing that is in the business plan for the product, the business proposal, where we say, here's a problem we've identified. Here's how we know that it's a problem. Here's the data that we have that supports that. Do you have any questions? And so you, you start with not Dave's wild hair idea, but Dave spending six or eight weeks in the market conducting a series of activities doing research and talking to people and coming back with, here's what I've learned. That was a long-winded way of saying what I think you asked me. Yes, but I also think <clears throat> to your point <laughs> about, you know, an individual, it's important that the positioning is clearly understood. And while a CEO can say, you know, because I said so, I don't think the that's probably the best way to get people on board, right? But if he can share the vision and where it came from and why this is uh, not only what the market is looking for, but sort of where that intersects with what the company is looking to do, then I think that positioning mm -hmm. statement becomes a good rallying cry for all. Yes, yes. And then the and then how do you drive that through the organization? How do you make sure that um, the products that you build, the messages that Marcom delivers, the sales tools you develop, the way you enable your sales force, what they talk about, what they don't talk about, how they identify the right sales opportunities, how they how do they walk away from those that aren't going to be a good fit? 
Um, the discussion around product market fit is is all driven based on position as well. And so it's not as simple as filling out a document, a template, and then sticking it um, in Slack or Confluence or where, or SharePoint or wherever you're going to put it and say, okay, check, we've got that thing done. Anybody needs to know, go look over there. It requires work to socialize that so that people understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. I would think, too, that it's something you'd want to review, not daily, right? You don't want your positioning to change that way if you've done it right. But how often would you suggest that people sort of reaffirm their positioning, make sure it's still resonating with the audience? Yeah, that's a great question because you, you you don't want to react to individual deals that you've lost or won because a, a new customer says, wow, I really love this thing or or a loss says, you know, I really hated that thing. And they both loved or hated the same thing. Right. So um, you can't emphasize one or de-emphasize the other just based on a single deal. But you're looking at patterns and. Um, my favorite tool is writing about this today. My favorite tool of tools, the tool of all tools within your toolbox is win-loss. And win-loss is, is a fantastic tool, not only to, to touch base with, uh, with potential uh, buyers or new customers to get their insight about how the process worked, but to get their take on what was cool and what wasn't? What excited them? How, what pro, what needs did they have and they felt would be addressed? I, I like to think of um, I like to think of customers. I love stories and and you know me. I love to have metaphors. And I think of a competitive engagement with with other vendors is kind of like a sporting event. And there's a bunch of sporting uh, a bunch of teams you know playing against each other all at the same time trying to win the business of the buyer. In this case, the buyer is actually the referee. And the referee gets to decide who wins and who doesn't, right? They blow the whistle, ah, that's a violation, you get a foul. Um, so what better way to understand if your message is working and if your positioning is the right one, your value proposition, if you choose that term, then to have a win-loss uh, interview and pepper those kind of questions in there. So, you know, Rebecca, what, who else did you look at? You know, what other vendors did you look at? Which products did you consider? Um, what did you admire about them? What did you admire about us? What'd you like about us? Um, what was the one thing that really resonated with you? What was the thing that you said, wow, those guys really got, they, they understand me. Because if you can get that and tie it back to your original position, you can say, okay, good, I'm on the right path. I may not have the right solution yet. I may not be 100%, but the problem that I identified and the win-loss interviews that I've been getting all tie back. Now... From time to time, you're going to see that the market's going to change. And that activity, that touch point in the market, that market sensing activity is going to reveal to you that, uh-oh, we got something new. Got to react to that. Got to make a change. While our other messages were working, we're seeing something different. Now, this particularly occurs if you start going after new market segments. 
you're going to hear different things. You might find new problems. Well, and I would think that your positioning would, would help you in figuring out where to start in your targets, right? For you instance, bet. If I'm Walmart, I don't want to my, – my core audience is clearly not – Rolex users, so I shouldn't build out things for them, or wh or whatever the case. Maybe it's not not a great example, but right or where I'm where I'm going to put my stores, where mm -hmm. I'm going to locate my stores. Yep, where am I going to put uh, recharge stations for my electric cars? Exactly, I'm not going to put my Walmart on the Miracle Mile in downtown Chicago. That's <laughs> expensive real estate. That's not going to work. My customers don't go there. Now there's some overlap, but. I'm going to find some cheap property out in the suburbs so I can keep my costs low, and that's more in line. It's why Southwest doesn't have first class. They'll, it doesn't fit their position. Yes. Yep. Not at all. All right, Dave. We talked about a lot of different stuff today. If you are mm -hmm. going to tell people to do two things differently tomorrow based on what we do today, what two things would you have them focus on? Um, two things in general or two things about positioning? About positioning, yes. About positioning. One is I would start testing your position uh, in the market. And uh, the, the easiest way to do that is with win-loss. If you're uncomfortable with win-loss uh, or you have some kind of organizational barrier that you've had difficulty breaking down, you might want to look at either uh, polling or you might want to look at surveys. An easy way to distinguish the difference is a poll is a one-question survey. That's the easiest way to think about it. And maybe um, work with uh, your internal team or an outside agency to make sure you're asking the right kind of open-ended questions to uh, uh, to get good responses is what I'm really like. So that, that's one way I would do it. Um, the other thing that I would do is anytime you have the opportunity to interact with a real live customer or potential customer in your target market segment, interact with them. And this is one of the things that, that is talked about in foundations and it's also talked about in the market class. And that is think about all of those opportunities that you have. And some of you might dread them. Some of you might look forward to them. But think about all of those touch point opportunities you have throughout the year and ask yourself, am I spending time, is part of my time or a lot of my time spent on validating my position in the marketplace? Do I have the right position? Is it resonating with buyers? Um, a simple question is, so when you think of your company, fill in the blank, what words come to mind? That's a great question to ask. So when you think of Tesla, what words come to mind? Electric cars. Um, what's another brand that you like a lot, Rebecca? Diet Coke. Diet Coke. So when you think of Diet Coke, what words come to mind? Uh, yummy and refreshing. And addictive, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that too. Right. So, you know, if I keep hearing those words over and over again, and that those are words that are key to my position, then I'm like, I'm golden. I'm good. <clears throat> 
Did you hear Coca-Cola's coming out with an alcoholic beverage? No, I did not. Well, I did not. Yeah. Rumor mail, rumor mail. I just saw it. (laughs) Breaking news. I mean, how does, all right. So think about that. This is a big brand. So how does Coke now come out with a Coca-Cola, the company? Um, Think about the challenge of introducing an alcoholic beverage within an iconic brand. Hmm. Right? So uh, how about uh, a lot of people don't know that Dasani is owned the water, Mm -hmm. bottled water is owned by Coca-Cola. So how do they deal with it? Well, they have a separate brand. They took more of the Procter & Gamble approach. Now they're the number two seller of bottled water in the United States. And and to your point, they purposely didn't call it, you know, Coca-Cola water. Coke water, Coke H2O, right? Right. Because people go, ah, it's not sweet enough. Right. (laughs) No, it's not sweet, dummy. It's water. Um, Because they would have been fighting their position. So what did they do? They carve out a different position with a different brand. Brilliant. Know your know your positioning and make your decisions based on that, right? Yeah, let me rephrase that. Know your position. Mm. Yes. Right, because remember, positioning is a verb. So what is your position? Or if you're starting from new, what is the position you want to own? One last metaphor. This is easy for everybody. Grocery stores. Well, not everybody goes to the grocery store anymore. Some use a shopping service. Many use a shopping service. But for those of you like me who like to go to the grocery store, this is the metaphor that I was taught many years ago about position. A grocery store is organized in such a way that they understand that we humans organize thoughts in our head based on categories. We think category first, then brand. The store is organized that way. So if we go down the aisle that says baking and we walk down that aisle, we know that there's going to be things like flour and sugar and yeast and all kinds of other things that are associated with baking, right? Then on the shelf, there'll be areas where there is flour. It's not a free-for-all down that aisle. It'll be organized within categories of products. So then we think, okay, I need flour. Hmm, what kind of flour am I going to get? Oh, I like gold metal flour, whatever brand you prefer. And so that's the way their mind thinks. And so within that product category, there are different positions that those different kinds of products have. So for those of you who are thinking about entering in, uh, you know, bringing a new product to market, when you're thinking about your positioning, you got to ask the question, what is the category that exists that I can latch on to so that my potential buyers understand, uh, they can figure out that we might be an alternative to what they're doing. Now, in some cases, it's unavoidable. You're creating a new category. So it's interesting in my research on positioning to learn that One of the reasons why the automobile industry originally called cars, automobiles, horseless carriages is because carriage was familiar. Automobile wasn't. Hmm. So by saying horseless carriage, they connected to a position that was already familiar. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense.
There you go. I'm like Cliff Claiborne. You got are. Trivia. You got facts. <clears throat> you got knowledge. I'm going to just call you for all the latest <laughs> in the know. Cliffy. Uh, all right, Dave. Always, always good to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. And for anytime, anytime, I'm going to take you up on that. For those of you who are looking for more information on positioning, be sure to check out pragmaticmarketing.com and also check out braincraft, craft with a K, dot com for Dave's blog. He's got lots of good tools and resources. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. Mm-hmm.